This is Power 1 and 2 Digital, the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Uh, Avril is in. This is your news bulletin from Power 1 and 2 Digital. Showers and isolated thunderstorms associated with a weather disturbance continue to affect Trinidad and Tobago. The soldier detained for questioning in connection with Monday's fatal robbery attack at Pennywise Plaza claims that his current detention is arbitrary. Puerto Ricans desperate for water after Fiona's rampage and Kremlin plays down reports of Russian men fleeing after mobilization call. Details in a moment. This is News to 7 o'clock on Power 102 Digital. I'm Avril Sintel Bab. Good morning. Showers and isolated thunderstorms associated with an active tropical wave continues to affect Trinidad and Tobago and surrounding waters. This as a yellow level adverse weather alert remains in effect for the islands. While the intensity of the weather will fluctuate, an increase in activity is expected this morning in some areas with rainfall being heavy and torrential at times. The system has a high potential for further development over the next two days. According to the Met Office, heavy rainfall is expected in some areas and gusty winds in excess of 70 kilometers per hour are possible in the vicinity of thunderstorms street or flash flooding events and landslips are likely in areas of heavy downpours it warns that impacts can include larger than normal waves and choppy seas in the vicinity of gusts trees branches and loose objects can be replaced during strong winds flooding and landslips can lead to infrastructure damage in areas so prone seas will be um, slight to moderate waves up to 1.5 meters in open waters below one meter and occasionally choppy in sheltered areas expect partly cloudy to cloudy periods with showers and a medium chance of isolated thunderstorm activity tonight will be generally settled apart from lingering showers over a few areas look out for a cool maximum temperature at piaco international airport and crown point in tobago of just 29 degrees celsius The soldier detained for questioning in connection with Monday's fatal robbery attack at Pennywise Plaza in La Romaine has filed a writ of habeas corpus. His lawyers claim that his current detention is arbitrary. The soldier attached to Camp Surrett Army Base in La Romaine was detained by police officers after reporting that six men with rifles held him up at gunpoint and stole his vehicle. His lawyers claim that he is being unlawfully detained by officers of the TTPS and argue that the TTPS has no power to hold him merely for questioning. They added that he has been detained for over 26 hours as he was arrested when he was not permitted to leave the San Fernando police station and to date he has not been charged with any offense. In the application, his lawyer also is contending that the soldier is not to be unlawfully incarcerated. The lawyers are asking that he be released forthwith. They also suggest as an alternative that he be released into the custody of the TNT regiment to facilitate any further questioning. Revisiting the recruitment exercise of persons entering the protective service has been cited as a critical factor in getting rid of rogue officers. There is the suggestion this approach should be sustained. This is because criminal elements are infiltrating the protective service and continuing to carry out their activities. These words of advice comes from former head of the National Operations Center, Garvin Hira. They were made during the Power Breakfast program on Power 102 Digital on Wednesday. What we are seeing now is the infiltration of the criminal element within the protective So That's how you have to look at it. There's now an infiltration. The criminal elements are placing people inside of the protective services to conduct criminal activities. So we have to re-examine our vetting and our background checks now for recruitment. Um, if you look back at the history, the, the, the youngster was supposed to have been a, a, a model soldier, you know, I think so, the alleged person who was, who was arrested. Um, so, you know, we have to look at how we do our business with our background checks and our vetting, and that is not only for recruitment. That is throughout the system. There needs to be um, continued measurement and checks and evaluations being placed on our personnel. 
Mr. Hero also commented on how women are being used to lure officers of the protective services into behaving a certain way, and there's evidence to suggest this. Criminal elements have infiltrated, and, and that infiltration has also been linked to lifestyle, has also been linked to social media, and there's a, a bridge in the middle of all of this, especially for our male counterparts in the protective services. And the bridge that infiltrates, and, 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 and I'm going to quote to this point, that infiltrates and gets in the mind is, is called W-O-M-E-N. We have weaponized women outside there to get into the minds and into the character, into the behavior of the protective services. And my intelligence team is picking that up, that, that women have been used to, 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 to lay off um, protective service personnel into a certain type of behavior and attitude. So choose your woman wisely. The Prime Minister said that um, regarding men. The regular scheduled COVID-19 news briefing will be continued from Wednesday. The move is based on encouraging signs such as low levels of hospital occupancy, decline of active positive cases, and a number of deaths from the virus. Figures in these areas are going down and they pose no threat to the population. These factors were made known by the Minister of Health, Terence Dialsing, while speaking at Wednesday's news briefing held at state-owned Trinidad and Tobago Television. Of course, if there are any developments that we need to come to you with or that is concerning the public, we will hold a press conference at the Ministry of Health as needed, when needed. So today marks the end of our regularly scheduled press conferences at TTT. I want to thank the media for their cooperation, for carrying the facts, members of the public who worked with us, and lastly, but surely, most importantly, I want to thank every category of healthcare worker who rose to the challenge and proved to Trinidad and Tobago what I knew always, even before being Minister of Health, that this public healthcare system that we take for granted is one of the best in the world. Minister De Helsing said a news briefing will be held in the future should there be need to do so and bring the nation up to date on matters of importance. In some sporting news, Trinbago Knight Riders are scheduled to play against defending Caribbean Premier League champions St. Kitts and Nevis Patriots at 10 this morning. The match will be played at the Guyana National Stadium, Providence. Fourth place TKR are on seven points after eight games. They have won four matches and lost four. Fifth place Patriots are on six points from nine games. They have won two games and lost five. In the second game at 7 p.m., Guyana Amazon Warriors take on St. Lucia Kings at the same venue. You are listening to news on Power 102 Digital to 7 o'clock. More than a half million people in Puerto Rico remained without water service three days after Hurricane Fiona slammed into the U.S. territory, and many spent hours in lines Wednesday to fill jugs from water trucks while others scooped water from mountain runoff. Sweat rolled down the faces of people in a long line of cars in the northern mountain town of Caguas, where the government had sent a water truck, one of at least 18 so-called oasis set up across the island. The situation was maddening for many people across an island, once again left without basic services following a storm. Fiona dumped roughly two feet of rain on parts of Puerto Rico before blasting across the eastern Dominican Republic and the Turks and Caicos Islands, swelled to Category 4 force. The storm was on a track to pass close by Bermuda early Friday and then hit easternmost Canada by early Saturday, according to the U.S. National Hurricane Center. The Kremlin spokesman has said that reports of an exodus of Russian men who could be called up as reservists under new mobilization plans are exaggerated. Those reports came from President Putin's speech yesterday in which he said partial mobilization was necessary to ensure Russian territorial integrity with some 300,000 military reservists facing being called up to fight. In a call with reporters, spokesman Dmitry Peskov also declined to deny Russian media reports that some anti-mobilization protesters detained on Wednesday had been given draft papers saying this is not against the law. 
More than 1,300 people have been arrested for protesting the order since Putin's address, according to Russian human rights group OVD Info. Of those detained, 16 were given summons to report for military duty, the group claims. Recapping your headlines to 7 o'clock. Showers and isolated thunderstorms associated with a weather disturbance continue to affect Trinidad and Tobago. The soldier detained for questioning in connection with Monday's fatal robbery attack at Pennywise Plaza claims that his current detention is arbitrary. Puerto Ricans desperate for water after Fiona's rampage and the Kremlin plays down reports of Russian men fleeing after mobilization call. I'm Avril Sindhil Bob. That was news to 7 o'clock on Power 102 Digital. Look out for more news coming up at 12 noon today. And of course, a news update coming up at 8 o'clock this morning. For more details, log on to power102fm.com. Up to date and credible. Power 102 Digital. at Piaco International Airport, what it is like in, in our beautiful sister island of Tobago. It is 25 degrees with a little rain. Oh my goodness. All right. Thank you, Evie, for our major news. Um, and of course, yes, as Evie said, Trinbago Night Riders will be playing today. And then they'll be playing again on uh, Saturday. I'll have to check it out properly. All right. Um, Traffic-wise, let's take a look at that. Somebody has asked me what the traffic is like heading into Port of Spain. It is chock-a-block. That's probably why you asked. You're stuck in traffic. It is chock-a-block heading into Port of Spain out of Parony. You're going to get traffic pretty much from Maloney heading straight into Port of Spain. Digo is a bit heavy out of um, Maraval and Mocha, Lady Young Road. What is south looking like? Riverland Road and surrounding streets. Chock-a-block. Solo is not too bad. Got some volume there, but you're really going to get some traffic after Sugar Gornas, all right? All right. So, uh, I got one more vote for you, Richie Rich. I got uh, Sexy San Fernando saying no. All right, so, there you go. It's our poll this morning. Are you upset that the police killed the four assailants in the Pennywise robbery? We had 28 people voting in the allotted time, um, two short of 30. And of the 28, 27 of you said, no, you are not upset that the police killed the four assailants in the Pennywise robbery. One person said, yes, he is upset. Um, they should have been apprehended and brought to justice. Yeah. So 27 people said, no, one person said, yes. Um, so 28 people have voted in the allotted time in our poll this morning which continues throughout the day and into tomorrow when we'll give you the final results tomorrow, Friday. So, are you upset that the police killed the four assailants in the Pennywise robbery? Um, so, we'll give you the final results of that poll tomorrow morning, Friday. Yes. Um, some exciting news concerning greedy people. Of course, we had a little competition on our social media yesterday on our Facebook page, RSR Productions, which has over 16,000 people on that page. So we had a competition giving away two tickets there. And we also have a WhatsApp, a group with hundreds and hundreds of people. There was also a competition there. And both groups have been told that the results will be given in the 8 to 9 hour on Power 102 FM Digital. So between 8 and 9, I will give the results of who the winners are on those respective platforms. 
And just in case you didn't know, Greedy People is on this, well, next weekend, October 1st and 2nd at Cipriani College in Valsey. No shame. And We're going to get 5,000 more viewers in this 8 to, eight to 9 hour. So, uh, well, probably thousands because we have over 16,000 people. And, and it was a healthy um, the question, but I'll give you the question in 8 to 9 and who would it people to come up with the right answer but a lot of people took part in it um in terms of trying to win those two tickets for greedy going back to that poll question this morning you know what is interesting about this that normally and it just goes to show and this is for the police in particular the, the police leadership when police when there's a police involved killing there's a lot of remonstration in the public domain not so mm-hmm. yeah. This time, no. It all depends yeah. on the circumstance. We hear no tires burning. Mm-hmm. No blocking but I think the road. Also how it played out visibly. Um, because wrong. of the circumstance. Because of the circumstance. But, but and the then there was video footage, you're right. Yes, you're right. there was video there footage. Was. So, the, yeah. so the, the, the citizens were following it. So there was no doubt about how it unfolded. <laughs> They could see how it happened and in addition to which i remember um i mean we don't know what happened under the house there to be very honest but yes. the pennywise side was so profound yeah and how brutal that was yeah and the commissioner of police did indicate that there was body cam footage too where under the house or in the in the pennywise but he said that, that the officers were using officers body had cams. so i assume yeah. for the entire incident there would be body cam footage. well yeah because the same officers supposed well Hopefully, the same officers involved. You're not sure. Yeah. But interestingly, uh, um, and why we be able to talk to our guests? Yeah, I need to take a quick break, too. Eh? There is an article today in one of the dailies that indicates that the street value of firearms have gone up. That AK 47s are now 40, 40 to $40,000, while an AR 15 is now $45,000. Handheld guns have also risen, and the street value for Glocks stood between $18,000 and $20,000. While revolvers above between ten and twelve thousand. What the police this is from the TTPS and they're also saying that some of these um farms are being rented. They have started and they have to this end, um twenty-four police officers have recently been trained by American specialists to track firearms and how they are imported. The goal is no longer just taking guns off the streets but taking the key players who import these weapons off the board. So it's finding linkages between the weapons and who imports them is key. So the the linkages by utilizing technology and DNA evidence are important. And this is what we've had investigators recently trained in. So the aim is to make a positive dent in these operations and hope that it will impact with a reduction of homicides because about 80% of all murders are committed via the use of firearms. Yeah. True. Well, yeah. All right. So, well, um, Dr. Hussain is logging on. I am going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Every Sunday, enjoy brunch at the Cascadia Hotel for an introductory price of only $99. Brunch time runs from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Kids 5 and under, accompanied by an adult, eat for free. <laughs> so bring the entire family and enjoy in this delicious feast every Sunday at the Cascadia Hotel. Don't miss out. Call 235-4554 and make your reservation now. Brunch at the Cascadia Hotel for an introductory price of only $99. Special conditions apply. The Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch. Our 60th Independence Celebrations continue with the Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch Competition. Come out and see TNT's Calypso Heavyweights vie for the grand prize of $200,000. Look out for the finals on September 25th at the Grandstand Queen's Box Savannah. Who will take the crown of the Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch? For more info, contact the Tuco Head Office at 623-966. Or follow us at Forging Forward TT on Facebook and Instagram. The Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch. 
All right, that's happening, that's happening, that's happening. Uh, and it's on this Sunday, September 25th. In progress. At the Queen Spark Savannah. All right, don't you miss it? Should be an interesting uh, program. All right, it's our 60th Independence, the Diamond Jubilee Calypso Monarch. Continue with the Diamond, with uh, the Calypso Monarch competition. Come on and see TNT's Calypso Heavyweights vie for the grand prize of $200,000. Look out for the finals. It's on, as I said, this Sunday, 25th at the Queen's Park Savannah. Showtime is going to be at 5 p.m. And the list of finalists are Aaron Duncan, Trinity, Brian London, Dwayne O'Connor, Eunice Peters, Sneaky, Kareen Ashe, um, King Luta, and Tamika Darius. So Victoria, Queen Victoria, that is as well. Tickets are only $60 and are available at the Queen's Park Savannah's box office and the Tuco's head office. Who will take the crown of the Diamond Calypso Jubilee Monarch? For further info, you can contact the Tuco at 623-9660 or you can follow on Facebook and on Instagram at ForgingForwardTT. All right. All right. So our guest is online. And with us this morning is Dr. Roger Hussain. And we say good morning to you, Roger. How are you? Oh, there he is, right. Yeah, morning, good Roger. Morning, your morning, morning. How are you? Good, man. Fine, thanks. All right, welcome to the Paul Breakfast Show. It's been a while. Paul Richards and Richard Ragobarazin is with us this morning. Morning, morning Dr. Hussain. Hussain. Paul, how are you going? I'm all right. How are you going? Good enough. In a pandemic, good enough. In a, in a economy. <laughs> well, let's get back to that. Since you said of the bad, it's a depressed. But it's a depressed, depressed economy. Let's get a sense of where you think we are presently. Okay, so just confirming, we are on air now, right? Yep, yep. correct. Streaming and on YouTube. So where are we? Well, to me, from my understanding of the facts, we are in a worrying position. We have just experienced the sixth consecutive year of decline. And we need to turn the economy around. We need to get production restarted. Now, the boost in energy revenues, I am hoping, would be used to create some injections that could trigger non-energy exports to increase so that the stock of exchange could, could benefit. And also that could ease some stresses for the population because there's a lot of tension in the economy has as manifested in various ways but one of the one of the, the variables that i am looking at at present is the murder level and that just seems to be climbing uh, i did a linear projection sometime in the last two weeks and it reached uh, the expectation it would reach somewhere close to 594 2022 which would post it at the highest ever since 1956 if it were to occur um and and so there is a heaviness in the, in, 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 in the macro economy that this particular budget has to help ease, has to address so that people would be able to continue uh, in the running of their daily affairs, but a little lighter. Um, I don't envy the Minister of Finance has a heavy job on his hands because Several things happened one after the other. In 2016, oil prices fell. Then you had the the the, the um, coronavirus. But on top of that, the volatility works in both directions. We then had the Russia-Ukraine war, and now we are benefiting from <clears throat> substantially elevated oil prices and gas prices, say as compared to 2016 or 2020. So. There's a lot of work to be done, Paul. There's a lot of work to be done. Well, what are your thoughts? Going back to the spotlight on the economy, which happened, I think, two weeks ago. What are your thoughts? Because we'll deal with the, the, the energy, the commodity price uh, advantage that we're experiencing now. What are your thoughts on the country's one expenditure profile? Because the finance minister spoke a lot about the expenditure profile and even projected into the possibility of increasing that, given the negotiations that are ongoing. And also this country's debt profile. I was a little, I personally was a little disappointed at the spotlight of the economy. I mean, I, I listened attentively and I also read the minister's PowerPoint. I read the, 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 the online notes from the permanent secretary. Um, 
I read the notes of Dr. Dorian Noel. I read the notes of I didn't I didn't read the notes of of of, of um Dave Siratan, but I read the others. And I thought the Minister of Finance and other others involved could have been more frank with the population and let them know that we were in a depression. Instead, I got the the, the, the perspective coming out of the spotlight. You know that 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 there was strong growth in some areas and whatnot. And I looked at the numbers from the CSO. I looked at real GDP data from the CSO. In fact, I think the very next day or within within a one week period of the spotlight, the CSO provided data that confirmed that real GDP will contract in 2021 and that for the first quarter of 2022. Um, real GDP was projected to contract by minus 4%. So I think if I have a, a problem with you, Paul, I would come to you and say, Paul, here's what's going on. You didn't pass that ball clear to me. Next time, take your time. Two, are we going to try and score? Give me the ball closer to my foot. Let me receive the ball in a good organized way. And then I would... The, that analogy is devoid of political expediency. You're talking about a minister of finance who's representing a government who I, I'm presuming in their mind, has to, one, present a reality check. But two, what I got is that we manage the economy under the difficult circumstances properly because there's a political element to that too. I hear you. And I could only come here to you and be direct and tell you what my... I ain't saying what he do is right, you know. I'm saying what is the reality of his situation. He can't come and say we dropped the ball. No, and I, and again, I, 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 I hear you. I acknowledge what you say. But if you pass the ball to me, to use an analogy that most people may understand, and you put it too wide for me and I cannot reach it, although it, 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 it may sound that, okay, Paul Richards passes the ball to Hussein, I don't get the ball. So of what practical relevance is that? It has to make sense in the context of the scenario. So whilst I take the point that you did pass the ball, I am saying for me to receive the ball, the ball has to come within a certain distance of me in order for me to make intelligent use of it. That's the way I see it. So in terms of the, the budget presentation that will take place on Monday, um, what, what areas do you think that the Minister of Finance should concentrate on to transform the economy and to get it more productive as you intimated that? at the start of this conversation. Thanks, Richard. So, I do some small-scale investment, and what the country needs is the small-scale investors and the big-scale investors to invest more so we could employ more people, we could keep prices down, and, and we could help generate more revenues. Then, my biggest fear or concern in this country, and I'm not going to say something economics, is the murder level. Unless I feel comfortable, Richard, unless I feel like I can move about and open, open a shop sale on High Street or, or, or wherever and be able to sell my goods and services free from fear and free and fear, then I would, re I would switch money away from certain type of investments and I would put it in real estate and I would put it in other areas that nobody would really know. But what it would cause, it would cause a skewed investment pattern in the economy that does not boost non-energy exports. So to specifically answer your question, the an important part of moving the economy forward in my understanding of the facts is to address that murder level so that business people would feel increasingly comfortable to invest in things that could increase non-energy exports. Why are you talking about investment? What is your assessment of the impact, the present impact on the crime situation on the domestic economy? Because it must be having, they have to increase the security cost. They, they may want to expand and may not, may not think it's a feasible time to do so because of the, 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 the psychological impact of crime on the, on the spending population, etc. So, to me, the impact of crime is, is, is glaring. If it is you are a small, medium business person and you, 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 you have to spend money to get a security to stand up by the door, you, every time your children pass, you are worried, oh my God, they are going to take my children, they are going to take my children. You have to make sure 
that the burglar proof is strong. So a lot of money will be diverted from buying more stock, which you can resell to generate income to employ people, now to preserving the, 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 the business that you have. But I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically in, in relation to, do you think, because I know it's, it's happened to theater with Richard and Day at one stage, do you think it's having an impact on the customer flows into the businesses? Or a significant impact? Of, of course. I, of, I, well, I don't know. I, I don't have the numbers to say whether or not it's a very significant impact, but people would be care, more careful about the places that they go. So you would see, for example, some malls being more frequently visited than other places because people are of the perception that those malls have better security. I will not go and eat dinner, Paul, in a place that does not have a security posted at the front door. I won't. So... But yes, in my view, it is having an impact on business, especially. Uh, and then there is the third aspect, manufacturing. Sometimes manufacturing runs three shifts. And that, that night shift, I think a lot of businesses have been affected because people are afraid of that night shift and moving about in the night given the crime situation. So the first thing as an economist I have gone to in terms of adjusting economic outcomes is the crime situation. That's my honest view. The second thing, just to make sure I complete, I properly answer Richard, um, Ruben, is that, Ruben, we have seen an economy where transfers and subsidies have eaten up a significant part of government expenditure. And again, if I have a household and I have $100 and my household is, 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 is growing, one of the things that I would need to do is to put on an additional room rather than just share all the money only to all my kids. Meaning that we need to improve on the distribution of our fiscal expenditures so that we could widen productive space in the economy rather than such a heavy focus, in my judgment, on transfers and subsidies. But transfers and subsidies, well, the state, the state certainly with regard to fuel has indicated they're going to put a cap in terms of how much they're going to subsidize fuel for. Um, what kind of impact do you think that is going to have? Because the, the, you're right, um, beyond crime, because crime is a big part of the, the, the entire mix, you also have that a lot of citizens, you know, have are dealing some, a lot of people are still post the effect of COVID. Um, they're still trying to catch themselves from COVID because many people would have had reduced incomes as a result of it. Maybe not all members of the household may have been affected, but some would have been. And so you you still have the country coming out of that. And I know in some countries they're saying that you're supposed prior to the Ukraine war, there was a, there there was a discussion that there would be a post-pandemic boom. Um, are we seeing that at all? And is that manifesting at all in Trinidad, or is it that the Ukraine war and the, the cost of commodities has kind of dampened that? You know, that's a very spot-on question, Ruben, and and. And Richard. few people. Oh, you keep calling him Ruben. Oh, I thought it was Richard Ruben. Sorry. So, I, I, Richard, that's a that's a very spot on question. In 2021, I looked at all of the data last night, coincidentally, for the world. And in 2021, if I remember correctly, China Tobago was ranked the eighth worst performing economy in the world. Now, one would expect that coming out of the pandemic, particularly in 2020, that 2021, even though you have the pandemic, still aspects of it that we would have done much, much better. And it, what it is saying to me is something is wrong with the structure of production. Something in our structure of production is causing our economy to be strained. Mind you, even if you look at the forecast data for 2025, 26, 27, you see some very bad performances expected of the Chan Tobago economy so that we need to get the structure of production correct. Coming back, though, specifically to your, your comment, um, with relation to the, to the energies, the, the, the cap that is going to be placed, I see nothing wrong with that at this point in time. People are under pressure, people are under strain, and if that is one way to help ease the tension or to reduce the, 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 the burden on the consumer, given the other areas they are already burdened with, with the escalating food prices and inflation in general, then I think I could, I could see eye to eye with that intervention. Um, so I, I have no problem with that specific one. 
Mm. You you mentioned just now a report that stated Trinity was the eighth worst performing economy in the world. Expand on that a bit. What report was that? And and give us some of the the metrics involved in that report, please. Right. So this wasn't a report. It was the it it is data that is presented online um, by from the IMF. So it is the IMF data. The IMF um actual data provided by the IMF. I'm pulling it up here specifically as I speak to you to, to, to give you the exact number in 2021. Um, so in, in, in 2021, you see something I checked, it is the 15th worst performing economy in the world in 2021. Now that's out of 195 countries, Paul. So being ranked the 15th worst in the world when many other countries, you could see all the other countries basically recovered, worries me. What is going on? Something is wrong there. And this is the IMF data. Now, the reason I went to the IMF data is because in November 2021, the IMF provided forecasts that said it would be minus one. In the midterm review, I read the comments of the Minister of Finance that were very glowing that the economy basically was turning around and doing good. And then when the CSO gave the official numbers, Paul, for the 2021 performance, it also turned out to be minus one. So which means that the forecasting model of the IMF is good. And therefore, those numbers that I see later on in that same in those same forecasts by the IMF for 2025, 26, and 27, has me very concerned. They, they gave some very low numbers for the relative good performance of Trinidad and Tobago in the global economy. And the Minister of Finance and his technical team needs to consider whether this is the time to bring back on stream the Economic Development Advisorial Board. I mean, we had a strong participant there, uh, leader there, Terence Farrell, who I think is best in class. And maybe now is the time, given those low numbers, that we could look for. This is parallel support. You know, you have a, a coach for a football team. You bring on an assistant coach and a deputy coach. And you use all the advice and information to, to get us to work up. Well, isn't that just it? Uh, Dr. Farrell didn't just leave because he's a frivolous person. The impression I got was Dr. Farrell left because the advice he was giving wasn't being taken. So why would he go back into the same scenario? You know... I am a, a great fan of Lloyd Best. And one of the things Lloyd Best used to say sometimes is, you know, put on your sackcloth and, and, and throw your ashes on and say sorry and let's move forward. My personal view, and others may disagree, is that we don't have a choice. We need the Economic Development Advisorial Board because you have had six consecutive years of contraction and the medium term barring 2022, 23, 24, when you will get a little glip upwards in production of natural gas is not looking good. So what do you do, Paul? Do you sit back and run the risk that the IMF um, gets it correct and that the economy goes into this relatively poor performance scenario? Or do you bring on hardcore technical people like Terence who has this deep-rooted training in economic development that can help change the outcomes? I would eat humble pie and I would bring back Terence. I am not disagreeing with you. I'm saying... But the dynamic involved in Dr. Farrell's leaving in the first place may still exist. And yes, people should be in a perfect ut in a utopian world. Say, well, yes, Dr. Hussain is the best. Dr. Farrell is the best. Mr. Ragubasing is the best. Let's bring them on. But it may not be aligned with your political agenda. Fair enough. But this is not a time given that the economy is now operating at about 16% smaller GDP than in 2015 to be dealing with that type of nonsense. In 2025, you could deal with your political business. Right now, we should save Trent Tobago economy, in my view, and I would have bought on a parallel team of real top-level thinkers from an economic development perspective, because what we have isn't given us the real GDP growth we want. That's my blunt view. And, 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 and so I would have gone to him and said, listen, I made a mistake. I want you to come and pick four other people of, 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 of equivalent caliber, and, and can you all provide us with parallel inf information? We will we will treat you all well. We, we will listen to you all. But this is the position that we find ourselves in. But do you, I, I hear you, but do you think practically that that is going to happen? You live here, you live in this space. Do you think that that's, that's likely to happen? 
you know, honestly, honestly, I think it is a possibility. I think it is a possibility because we now have the benefit of hindsight. We now know using the data from the CSO. Well, I, I am using here the data presented by the, the Minister of Finance at the spotlight. So I'm using the Minister's data where he had a graph showing all the, the good performances. Post-2015, I believe, was less than 0%. And the 2021 data provided by the CSO that gives us um, that gives us six consecutive years of decline. I think that in the context of that, that it is possible that the powers that be, the prime minister, it is possible would say, okay, listen, six years of decline is enough. I have had enough. I am bringing Terrans back, and you all have to work with it. That, I don't see why he can't do that. I honestly don't see Ruben. So you ask me, and I am telling you my honest view. Yes, Ruben. <laughs> what do you think about present uh, expenditure profiles? Richard spoke about the subsidies and transfers a while ago. Uh, and the conflict with labor on that, adding the, the, the component of productivity. Uh, it seems that, for example, we're experiencing the advantage of having high commodity energy prices now. But natural gas production is low. We have a productivity problem in Trinidad and Tobago that does not make us competitive in many different spheres. So, uh, Paul, uh, if you continue to speak like that, you won't need me because everything you said there, I agree with. We definitely have a, a substantial part of the problem is our competitiveness. And the way we are trying to deal with it is by controlling inflation rather than working through the Venezuelan immigrants or working through a, a direct devaluation. We are attempting a strategy of internal devaluation, whether or not we call it that, rather than an external devaluation. And I have no problem with that, except that we, between 2015 and 2021, our real effective exchange rate, which is how we, 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 we could look at the external competitiveness of the economy, contracted by, improved by 4.5%. But even though it improved the ratio of the production of non-energy, non-tradables to non-energy tradables increased. In other words, the intervention of the internal devaluation poll did not bring the economy to a point of producing more uh, non-energy tradable goods in comparison to non-energy, non-tradable goods. And therefore, the, we, we need to look at the strategy of how we are managing the external competitiveness of the economy closer. Now, bringing this to the labor, labor sector. In the labor market, we have seen an almost continuous decline in the labor force participation rate since 2003. In fact, we have one of the lower, lowest labor force participation rate in the entire Caribbean. I think only Guyana and Haiti is below Trantabigo. We are at about 56% of the non-institutionalized population enters the labor force, whereas in the Bahamas, it is about 73%. So it's almost 20 percentage points more. Um, we need to, the, the Minister of Labor needs to take a deep dive look at why it is people are leaving the labor force. Is it to join gangs? Is it they are fed up of the labor, labor market and the wages are too low? Is it that they are dissatisfied with working conditions? What is going on with the labor force participation rate and how can we fix it? And we have been calling for that a little while now. What what there are some who suggest that there has been some sort of significant human resource slash brain drain in the country in the last two years. Have you had any data on that? Because the the, the, the some of the other indices may be correlating with that. It's really difficult to collect the immigration data like that. What I have found is that. A few students, I can only use the examples that I know, a few students that I know, they left and, 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 and they are not coming back. I know two or three families that have also decided to go to Canada, but I have no serious data beyond the, uh, no simple data points I mentioned. What I would say to you is that a high crime, a high murder level and a low economic performance are the type of things that would drive people abroad. So... But I don't have data to back that up, so I can't say anything beyond that. What, what about our, our present uh, debt profile? Uh, debt to GDP level, 
uh, I think the last time the minister said it was uh, improving, it had it had come from 79 to 77 percent or something. I could be quoting the wrong numbers, but it, it, some were suggesting it was over 90 percent. But he gave some information at the, at the spotlight presentation that it was not there, that it was improving. Now, to the best of my recollection, I think the, the debt to GDP ratio is about 86 percent. Um, and now, the, the, once energy prices increase and inflation increases, the G GDP in the economy in nominal terms would look like it's getting bigger and bigger so that the debt to GDP ratio would fall. So that's almost like a mirage. And we, we need to, 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 to take that ratio, therefore, with a pinch of salt. And, and I would wait until Monday to, to find out exactly what numbers the minister is quoting. But from my understanding of the data, um, Paul, it's about 86% or thereabouts. He's clearly signaling. Go ahead, Richard. No, I was going to ask, what, what do you think are the bright spots in the economy, if any? There are some bright spots. One of the things I would like to do is to complement the TTME and the Minister of Trade for the performance of the manufacturing sector, and I'm talking about the non-energy manufacturing sector um, in recent times. She has been putting in a lot of work. The CEO of the TTME is now Ramesh, Ramesh, I, I, Ramesh Ramdin. And, and these people have been putting in a lot of work, and I commend them for that. And we, if you look at the data, and I know this data, you are seeing a transformation of manufacturing sector activity and you are even seeing um, an increase in non-energy exports, both to the Caribbean and beyond the Caribbean. And I think now, whilst it's a far cry away, Richard, from what we need to transform the economy in terms of non-energy export, being able to pay for imports, it's still a bright spot. You are seeing improvements there, and I give them due credit, and I, I, I encourage them to continue to be the iron while the iron is hot for the benefit of China and Tobago economy. How important is digitization of the economy in terms of the overall picture? Well, I think that's tremendously important. And I know uh, and, and, and many things with digitization, you could, increase, you could decrease the cost of production so that all efforts in that direction uh, you know, is something that we should support and something we, 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 we should encourage because it helps to reduce friction. It helps to reduce the cost of production. It helps to reduce the demand for labor in part because we already have a labor force that is on the decline. We already have a labor force participation rate that is depressed. And we already have an out of the labor force group that is on the rise. So that it is a Digitization to me is very important and has a role in helping to transform the Trans Tobago economy. It would be remiss of us not to have you and talk about not talk about food production, food security, and agriculture. Uh, I know you've been the champion of this for a while, uh, not only because of the farming situation, but because of the uh, I'm sure it's almost six billion dollars. <laughs> we keep saying five for a while, but you know, given the increase, the inflation, and food prices globally, it could be as much as six billion dollars now. We don't know. We don't have the data to, to make a definitive statement on that. But we've heard a lot of talk about agriculture. A lot, a lot of talk. We saw, we've seen recent overtures by the government, positive overtures to me, to reach out to the Ghanese government. We're seeing regional leaders talking about food security. What do you think there should be in the budget? Because they've, they've had incentive clauses in the budget before to try and incentivize farm, farming, which has not worked because we have land tenure issues. We have pretty last day issues. We have uh accessibility to, to to funding issues we have whether or not we're producing the right using the technology to maximize yield issues so, so paul again i am listening to you and i'm thinking you don't you, you could just come and talk you uh, know this you, well. you know why let me tell you what's interesting about this yeah i've been broadcasting for over 30 years and the right. conversations are the same right so you know it so, it, so it's not it's, it's not even that i know yeah. it's almost like a poem Right. The, and that's the sad thing about it. We, the, the conversations I've been having in media and radio and television are so much the same in the last 15, 20 years. Which is sad in the sense that it means that the problems are not going away. 
and and therefore in that context we need to do we need to, to put in some more work now as i'm speaking to you here i have pulled up this CSO data and i'm looking at the output for 2021 in the agricultural forestry and and and, um, and fishing sector which is 938 million as compared to 1 billion 124 million in 2020 in other words despite all the efforts we had just about a 200 million decline in the output of the agricultural sector between 2020 and 2021 so paul clearly all those things that we are doing are not working and what we may need to do is stakeholder consultation we may need to go back to the people the farmers in particular and, and ask how can we increase economic activity in the farming sector and hear from the horse's mouth the interventions that could be made but parallel to that and i say this because i'm heavily involved in a group called the shore foundation that has been going around Trinidad and tobago sharing out seedlings and they didn't pay me to say this um we have given out two million seedlings to date throughout various parts of Trinidad and tobago and one of the things i think that may have some merit is we encourage bottom-up agriculture we go to the level of the households and we partner with the households and get the households to do more planting so that you know you have a little more celery and saive and bandania in, in your backyard and bhaji and so you you transform agriculture both from the lowest level and the medium level and at the higher higher level and yes much more work needs to be done you could recite some of the problems like a poem but we we have to be able to stop that poem and adjust the problems what will it take i I'm, i just get so frustrated with what seem to be achievable objectives that seem to fall at the wayside at the exp for, for political expediency and I'm, I'm not talking about this government talking about the last government too a lot of work done then a lot of backward movement and we don't seem to be able to sustain the kind of thrust we see we we need we need particularly with agriculture in the caribbean with so much arable land roger for noise is screen for us richard are, are you hearing paul yeah we're hearing you yeah, Go yeah ahead. we heard him yeah paul you need to repeat it yeah no. I, I said you hearing paul, me i i lost you for about 35 seconds yeah i was saying what yeah, you know take? yes what will it take for us to actually make some sustainable progress in agriculture? It's not that the answers are so out of reach. It's not that the answers are so novel. It's happening in so many other jurisdictions successfully. What is it really past the political will at this point? So here's what I would suggest to you all. I, I remember in 2012, 13, 14 around there, Vasan Bara did an exercise that to me made good statistical economic sense. He looked at our imports of various agricultural food, and I'm going to call some here that may or may not have been on the list. Cassava, pumpkin, baji, tomatoes. And he looked at our domestic production of those commodities that we imported, and he had an idea of the import gap. And he, he, he then put in place mechanisms to improve on the production of those commodities that we imported in the agricultural sector. So he increased production and he saved on foreign exchange. And to me, that's a simple, basic strategy that I think we could revisit. Hmm. What are your thoughts on Tobago? That's a lot of work. And <laughs> I, just wish they would, I just wish they would they would find uh, the politicians, and, and I, am, I am not a political expert, I'm saying this as a citizen, the, the two leading figures could find a way to sit down and talk over a cup of coffee, because Trinidad and Tobago needs a Tobago that is strong and that is vibrant. And what I am seeing to me as a citizen and somebody who loves Tobago and loves my country, it is not healthy. and and more could be achieved if they cooperate. Now, in terms of the economics, Tobago is a gold mine in my view. I think Tobago could benefit. You know, in Grenada, I remember reading somewhere that St. George's University in any one day, in any one dollar produced, generates about 25 cents. 
And why can't we do the same for Tobago? Why can't we have three offshore universities in different parts of Tobago where, um, where people come and study and, and, and that helps to invigorate the Tobago economy and by extension the Trinidad and Tobago economy for the benefit of all? And if, why can't we look in that direction? Why can't we have two world-class medical facilities to deal with dialysis where people could get sun, sun, and sea after, and, and, and... Why would and we, why we not in Tobago when Trinidad already has about six universities and a, a medical faculty here and a law faculty here? Shouldn't Tobago be looking in other areas as opposed to no. looking to compete with Trinidad in that regard? Well, this is the case cater for offshore students, eh? So after a point in time when our university is, is full, and we have a very vibrant, dynamic university, but I'm talking about an offshore university catering specifically to nurses and to doctors in which the developed world is hungry and given the aging population in the developed world which may have prospects and, 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 and benefits for, for the Tobago sub-economy because it's an opportunity there. And if it is the education aspect specifically is not appealing, there are other, other niches, for example, like medical tourism or something probably on dialysis and different little areas that you could go into and help boost Tobago. But it, it was ranked number one recently by the National Geographic, um, National Geographic as the number one ecotourism destination in the world, if I remember correctly. How do you sell that? Why do you have those type of statistics and not generate some significant US dollars from that? That's what I think is, is, is worrying. We should be finding out, the, let's say National Geographic identified, Paul, top 10 things that made Tobago the number one ecotourism destination in the world. <laughs> we should be selling those things like... like to, to be fair, I will tell you that I've been seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot better, and people will be surprised, a lot better digital marketing of Tobago's products on social media in the last six months to a year. I have been seeing it pops up. I see the posters. I see the ecotourism posters. I see the culinary posters. I see the flora and fauna posters. I see the festival posters. I've seen them on several different platforms regularly. And you can see it is a focused, designed campaign. I don't know whether it's bearing fruit, but I actually see it. I think the, the hashtag is go to Bego or something like that. Uh, but, but it's a very focused, sustained campaign. So I don't know if it's the Ministry of Tourism here or Tobago Tourism or a combination of both, but I do see it, to be fair. You know, whatever takes us across the finish line, I am happy to support. Eh? The way I would approach it is, let's say you want a Dublin of, 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 of tourists from, not from Trinidad, but from the, from, from, from the rest of the world into Tobago by 2025. I will start from the Dublin, from this doubling of the number of tourists, and I will work to the present and I would put in place those mechanisms. Now, there are others who know much more about me than this topic. All I would say is I would flag that number one ranking from the National Geographic um, Society and make that work for my benefit because an independent, authentic source gave me the, 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 this ranking. Dude, just before we close, we invest a lot of money. We have invested billions of dollars in training people uh, at the tertiary level in this country in several dis different disciplines. Do we have anything to show for it? Well, we have a society in which you have an, a, a, a reasonable output of people with tertiary level education. Whether or not we could get more from that cadre of, of tertiary level education skills, I would say yes, I would say any country with, with, with a high output level of tertiary level education graduates would always be expecting more. But this is where the challenge arises. If it is you have an economy that is on the decline, then if you look at the tertiary level education, unemployment rate and numbers, Paul, that I, I, I know that I, I looked at these numbers in the past, it is on the rise. And what would those unemployed university graduates do? You are not going to spend money on tertiary level education and then sit down here and warm seat. People would, they would migrate. They would go elsewhere. They would look for greener pastures. And so it is extremely important that we, we find means to create sustainable, long-term jobs, decent jobs that could keep our brightest people here 
because every graduate that leaves Trinidad Tobago is a loss of human capital, is a lot of a chunk of money that makes the economy poorer. I fully agree. That's why I asked the question. Dr. Hussein, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Looking forward to talking to you next week after the budget. It's right. No problem. Let's Steve book me earlier and I will tell I do, him. Um, I don't get too excited with the budget presentations anymore, quite frankly. <laughs> Same here. In fact, I don't even right. listen Whatever. to the budget. I just read it to me, after. To me, that could be half an hour. Yeah, I, I, I don't even listen to the budget speech. I sit down at my own convenience and I read it and I mm-hmm. take my yeah. time and go through it. But I'm do, do you think I, you I, should just put it online and leave it like that? No, I think the ceremony and the and the and the presentation is necessary. We have a tradition, but in order to appreciate it, I sit quietly sometime in the night. I read it. I don't have time to sit down and wait three hours to hear. And then I can't the political. Absolutely going I, down. I don't like the political cross talk at all. It wastes my time, so I just read it in the night. Agreed. Okay. Well, thanks very much right. for Dr. the opportunity Thank you so to speak and, and take care. Okay. All right. All right. No problem. Recording stopped. Uh, thank you so much, um, Dr. Roger Hussein. Thank you for choosing Power Water 2 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.